Welcome to Day 267 of Shaped by the Word. I'm Paul Kemp here with Cindy Kemp and Matt Kresge, and we continue our journey through the book of Matthew. On uh, most of the Gospels, there is a decisive place in Jesus' ministry where Jesus and the disciples head to Jerusalem, and a turn comes toward the cross. And uh, in every instance, the uh, opposition against Jesus begins to ten- intensify. In these next couple of chapters, Jesus will confront the Pharisees and confront Israel itself for the rejection of their Messiah. So when we come to chapter 22, we come to a very important turn in the book of Matthew. So before we uh, before we read Matthew 22 and talk about some of the things that uh, the passage brings to heart and mind, uh, we always offer ourselves in this moment to the Lord. So Matt, do you mind lifting us up in prayer? Yeah, let's pray. Father, we do um, draw near to you, asking that you would draw near to us. I thank you for that promise in Scripture that um, you draw near to those who draw near to you. And so as we do this together as your body um, via a medium that you've uh, given us, Father, would you be glorified? Um, Would you cause us to to marvel at at who you are and what you've done on our behalf? And and Father, grow us into the image of Christ Jesus. Thank you for the grace we have in, in Christ. Would you anchor us in it today? It's in his name we pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 22, uh, Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened calf have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and were off. One to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready. Those I invited did not deserve to come, so go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out of the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came to see the guest, he noticed a man there was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, How did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, Tie him hand and foot, and throw him outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, We know that you're a man of integrity, and you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others, because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us, then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius, and he asked them, Whose image is this, and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, So give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. When they heard this, they were amazed, so they left him and went away. Same day, the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses told us that a man dies without having children. His brothers must marry the widow and raise up offspring for him. Now there were seven brothers among us. The first one married and died. And since he had no children, he left his wife to his brother. The same thing happened to the second and the third brother, right on down to the seventh. Finally, the woman died. Now then, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be of the seven, since all of them were married to her? Jesus replied, You are in error because you do not know either the scriptures or the power of God. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They'll be like angels in heaven. 
but about the resurrection of the dead. Have you not read what God said to you? I am the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. When the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. Hearing hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees and the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, What do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? The son of David, they replied. He said to them, How is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord? For he says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? No one could say a word in reply, and from that day on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. A beautiful and interesting use of the Old Testament on a couple of uh, different occasions there, uh, especially in his reference you know, to the God of Abraham and to Isaac and Jacob, that our God is not a God of the dead, but of the, of the living. Uh, so n- nice little nice little section, starting off with the parable of the wedding banquet. Hmm. And the king kind of gets a little bit upset here in this particular instance. In one mm-hmm. case, he flattens an entire city because people wouldn't come to his party. Mm-hmm. And, of course, in the other, uh, other occasions, you know, people are executed for their rejection uh, you know, of, the, of the invitation. So what are some things that stand out as you guys read this passage? I think initially for me, um, you know, Jesus is, is rebuked to the Sadducees. You know, where they're asking him this question, who are we going to marry? You know, who's going who's gonna to be left with who? And, you know, the, the end of the age comes, and, and Jesus says, you're in error because you need to know the scriptures and the, the power, power of God. God. You know, and, and really, I mean, that, that statement right there, I know he's directed it at the Sadducees, but he would, it would be equally true of the Pharisees. You know, and, and you see it over and over and over again, where it, they, they come to him posing these questions from, you know, here's what, our tradition says, or here's what, you know, our interpretation of the Old Testament says, and Jesus constantly says, have you not read? Have you, you've completely missed it. And, you know, just, I think it reminds me, um, man, I want to be careful, you know, in in my approach to to God's word that I'm not holding so fast to to my interpretation of it or to how I think, you know, really my tradition and, and miss out on the scriptures and the power of God. yeah, and whether we call it tradition or not, we all you know we all come to scripture with cultural baggage, and sometimes we tend to see what we want to see in scripture, and we seem to miss those things, you know, that might speak more poignantly to us. Yeah. And so, both the Sadducees uh, and the Pharisees were a victim of the same thing, kind of cherry picking scripture for things, uh, you know, that fit their doctrine, fit their worldview, yeah. and, and failed to be challenged by scripture and. No matter what culture you come from, Scripture is uh, both affirming of, of culture because we're created in God's image, and both challenging to culture because we are a fallen people mm-hmm. you know, that tend to uh, minimize uh, both the Word of God and the power of God. Mm-hmm. And that is, and of course, the you know the wedding, the parable of the wedding banquet is, uh, you know, there's some exaggerated you know reactions on the part of the king but uh, at the heart of it it's, it's a story of israel and their rejection of their king yeah. who's invited them to a great feast and uh in many instances you know they were so caught up in the things of the world 
uh, that they, they didn't bother, you know, to heed the invitation of the king. In other instances, they completely rejected, you know, completely rejected the king. And, of course, in the end, uh, that will end up in the king's complete rejection, you know, of, of them. And you hear again the phrase that you've heard so often in Matthew, you know, about uh, their weeping and, you know, darkness and weeping and gnashing of mm-hmm. teeth. Those who expect to be a part of the banquet have rejected both its messengers and the banquet itself, and most especially the sun. And many are invited, but few are, are chosen. So you have a nice little end to that. The invitation is given broadly, but in the end, only few are able to attend. Mm-hmm. And you even have the you know the one one guy who mm-hmm. who did slip in. The invitation is to the good and the bad alike, which is kind <laughs> of an interesting thing. Yeah. And you have one guy who slips in, but he has on the wrong clothes. Mm-hmm. And the king says, "My friend, yeah, <laughs> why are you wearing?" Why are you wearing such bad clothes? And, and obviously, you know, pictures of you know, of us being clothed not in our own righteousness, mm-hmm. but in the righteousness mm-hmm. you know, of the heavenly Father, which is the entrance, you know, mm-hmm. into the into the banquet. That was exactly the image I had too. You know, the wedding clothes, and then just throughout Scripture, I just have always thought of um, when Scripture says that we're to put on Christ's righteousness. I always think of it as a garment that you know. Yeah. That no, we, it well, is a constant image yeah. in Scripture. Yeah. The, the funny thing is, we're reading this when Paul and I were in Guatemala. There was this, I mean, you know, just extravagant wedding at the hotel that we were staying at, and <laughs> two Americans decided that they were going to head into the wedding, and they went in, and they got the party for a little bit until they, everyone realized. Who do you know here? You don't belong here. And they ended up getting thrown out of the wedding. Were you the two Americans? It was not us. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> it certainly was not me. And, yeah. and I don't know how I don't know how Matt knows about it. So I didn't even know yeah. about it until now. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. so did you get at least one plate of food? Uh, yeah, it wasn't yeah. me. But they didn't have the wedding clothes. You know, they they didn't belong. And was it part of our party? It was no. It was okay. Uh, there you I go. Can't, <laughs> no, the Alaskan <laughs> crew. Some someone from Alaska. Yeah, those. Yeah, they're, they're, anyway, we love those guys from Alaska. Uh, and, and then you love, you know, you love the challenge about you know paying taxes. And of course, this is this is the biblical stance. We do, we do owe allegiance, you know, to local governing authorities. We shouldn't expect perfection from any of them, uh, but we owe a greater allegiance. Uh, you know, to God. So there's some things that, you know, government provide, and we should honor government for that. And there's a beyond that, all of our provisions from God, and he should have the highest mm-hmm. honor, mm-hmm. you know, in our, in our life. I think in a small way, it kind of, I keep going back to the Jeremiah passage, too, where, you know, the exiles were living in a city that they didn't belong, but yet the call was for them to continue being engaged and marrying and, and, you know, and producing crop and everything. And it said, as the city prospers, so you too will prosper. And I feel like, you know, that even in a small way, this is kind of tied to it, too. This is just where we are for now. Is, is yeah. Roughly no, and the invitation of Jeremiah, of course, is to seek the welfare of the city. Exactly. And, and that's what, you know, we do as well. Yeah. And, and to honor, uh, you know, and Jesus is going to say the same thing, you know, about, you know, the Pharisees that, you should honor them because of the place they hold, but do not follow their ways because they're as far from the kingdom as they possibly mm-hmm. can, mm-hmm. you know, as they possibly can be. Yeah. I love the the portrait too that Matthew gives us of Jesus as, you know, not just a, a human teacher, mm-hmm. you know, but as his, his teaching and the way he teaches with the authority in which he teaches points us to, you know, the fact that what he's going to call us to at the end, you know, whose son is the Messiah, you know, who 
who is the Messiah? Mm-hmm. And, and I love uh, in verse 22, you know, when they heard this, they went away. They were amazed, so they left him and went away. And then in verse 33, when the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. You know, just that, that repeated mm-hmm. you know, pattern throughout Matthew's gospel that, that when people hear Jesus teach, they're astonished, they're amazed. And yet there's still opposition. There's still people who overlook that authority and that, you know, that astonishment in that moment to try to trap him. Yeah. Even after the Pharisees hear the, that Jesus silenced the Sadducees, they get together and say, well, then surely we can trap him. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and it's, you know, very similar, you know, to our own time. You have a party that's a little more liberal and a party that's a little more, you know, conservative, one that's a little more, you know, engaged in culture and one that's a little more withdrawn from culture. And, and, and Jesus fits n- neatly in neither group. Uh, he has, you know, he has challenges, you know, for both those who would uh, accommodate culture and those who would withdraw from culture, and uh, we have to allow him, you know, to be who he is and to hear his word. Mm-hmm. I think it's fascinating too when you look at, you know, the Sadducees build this kind of crazy question that they say is from Scripture. You know, then the Pharisees, they don't really direct a specific question. They just kind of ask them, what's the greatest commandment in the law? They're looking for something. And then Jesus says, okay, you want to talk about Scripture? Let me ask you a question. You know, from the most quoted section in in the New Testament, you know, Psalm 110 is going to be a passage that we see. We've seen it in Hebrews over and over and Mm -hmm. over again. I mean, this is a foundational psalm in -hmm. in the New Testament. You know, and, and Jesus, who do you think this guy is? Yeah, yeah. And, well, it's David clearly. Yeah, sorry. Oh no, uh, yeah, <laughs> I, exactly. Right. It's it's clearly in that moment Jesus, you know, claiming yeah. to be the Messiah. Mm-hmm. So here's something to think about. You know, who is the greatest? You know, king ever, David. Who did David say was the greatest king ever? You know, someone who was coming after him, and even beyond the one who was coming after him, is the Lord of the one who was, yeah. you know, coming after. Mm-hmm. So the Lord said. To my Lord, sit my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. And of course, that's a picture of the final, you know, consummation when every enemy is conquered. And of course, the final enemy, you know, being death. So he said, here's something to think about. You know, that David calls him Lord. Mm -hmm. So who should you call him? Yeah. I I remember in seminary, there was a, we had to read like some articles and one of the guys was saying, you know, Jesus can't be the son of God. He never even claimed to be the son of God. You know, and one of the responses to it was, you know, have you not read these passages where, you know, Jesus may not answer the question, you know, in verse 45 that he poses, if David calls him Lord, how can he be a son? But it's, I mean, if you're reading with the intent, the, you know, mm-hmm. with the question that Jesus is asking, Jesus right here is is very explicit. Mm-hmm. You know, no, there's, yeah, that's such a misreading of scripture because, uh Jesus is always taking rich allusions, yep. you know, to God in the Old Testament and applying them to himself. So he's not using the language, you know, necessarily that we're using, but his images are big images, including this one, yeah. uh, which is, you know, a, a claim to absolute lordship. Yeah. And it's a bit, and you, you have to, I, I love, I've always loved, you know, the Matthew's version of the greatest commandment. Uh, which is the greatest commandment, and, and of course, you know Jesus will later confront you know the Pharisees. He said, "You, you, you make much of small things like you know tithing your mint and your cumin, mm-hmm. uh, and you make very little of big things like faithfulness and righteousness and mercy." And uh, so they they had these arguments. You know what? You know, let's stack rank the commands, which are the really biggies, and which are the really small ones. 
And, of course, Jesus said, here's the big one. And this really brings it all together, loving the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. But it's, mm-hmm. it's attached at the hip to another command, which is love your neighbor as yourself. And then I love this little rabbinical phrase, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. In other words, you haven't rightly understood Scripture unless you've understood it through the lens of leading you into a deeper love and affection for, uh, you know, for God and a deeper concern and, and mutual care uh, you know, for your neighbors. It's a fun passage all the way around as we lean into the cross this week in our uh, work through Matthew. Cindy, why don't you close us with a word of prayer? Sure. Father, thank you for this word. We thank you for this interaction with Jesus, and we thank you for his teaching. And Father, we we do um, want to take very seriously, you know, his speaking to the Pharisees about them being in error for not knowing Scripture nor the power of God. And Father, you've clearly, um, through Christ, and these words have told us to, you know, love you with all our heart and mind and soul, and. And then love our neighbor, and Father, we know that um, those are connected. So Father, I just pray that you continue to work in our hearts as we love our neighbor. Um, We can't do that apart from loving you and you through us. So Father, be with us, uh, deepen us in our faith and our love for you and for those around us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.